Welcome to online worship at Chandler United Methodist Church. You may be wondering why I begin each sermon with a word about making an offering. Here's why. The Apostle Paul makes a connection between discipleship and intentional financial support in his letter to the church at Rome. He says, I appeal to you, present all that you are and all that you have before the Lord as a living sacrifice. He goes on to say that this is what it means to completely worship, holding nothing back when we offer all that we are and all that we have into the presence of God, trusting what God will do with us and through us. Our worship is complete as we make our offering. These hot months have been a good time to be on retreat. We have allowed ourselves to dare new understanding. We've been looking at, we've been contemplating Old Testament passages, texts, that would have been known by Jesus, would have affected how he understood himself, how he saw his world, how he understood his role in it. Our text today is, in fact, a very favorite story for most of us to read. It is a wonderful stage play. It is also an outstanding television miniseries that was made back in 1995, starring Ben Kingsley and Martin Landau and Leslie Ann Warner and Paul Mercurio. And if you haven't seen it, I would commend you to do so. I believe it is on Amazon. The struggle that we run into reading or seeing the play or watching the miniseries is the lack of length and depth and breadth of suffering. Whether we read the whole story, even if we read it slowly and can stretch it to half an hour, or if we watch the play with intermission, it might take a couple of hours. And the miniseries was three hours long, which when we watched it on TV in 1985 or 1995 with commercials, so it took six hours. It is possible to capture a, a taste, a, a feel of the suffering taking place in the story of the life of Joseph. It is possible to make some shared connection between our suffering and the suffering that's taking place in the story. But suffering ends in the stories. Suffering ends in stage plays. Suffering is wrapped up to tense violin background music about four minutes before the credits roll when we watch it on a TV show. That this does, that this lack of suffering, the length, the breadth, the depth of suffering, this does have an interesting effect on us. In seeing suffering in a story on the stage or in a show, 
we do find emotional connection and it might bring a tear to our eye but then we see it wrapped up and and then we have to look at our own suffering which continues and it is not hard to lose perspective it is difficult to not say to ourselves to figure well those perfectly normal people did all the right stuff and things were resolved in one evening but i'm still suffering i must be doing something wrong there must be something wrong with me and even if we know in our head and we say with our mouths that oh well of course that's not real that's a show it lacks perspective our hearts are not so easily persuaded we want our suffering our pain our misery our agony our despair to be over thank you very much and in fact our heart so dislikes suffering that we lump in a hatred for anything that stops us from leaving suffering any imperfection any inconvenience any delay in our day any aggravation for our plans any annoyances we so want to get to the part of our story where everything works out well. That, that what needed to happen, happens. We forget that sometimes, most of the time, if we're lucky, that takes only a lifetime. And some things never get worked out. And there is a lot of suffering in Joseph's lifetime. The text tells us Joseph shared a unique connection with his father, Jacob. They are both dreamers, dreams that seem to tell of a future. You remember, we are climbing Jacob's ladder, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. All of that, singing that in Sunday school or vacation Bible school. Jacob is Joseph's father. Joseph is Jacob's youngest son. And you might think the love of the father would be the source of happiness and peace. But Joseph's brothers hate him. For how he is bolstered by the love of his father. All ten of them hate him. And isn't that the way it is in all of our families? The problem of perspective, which causes all of us to see and believe and argue to ourselves and to others. To anyone that will listen, we will say that the other siblings in our family got it so much better than did we. That dynamic of parents and kids, of love and bonding and loyalty, so easily evolves into ganging up 
and talking down and bullying and betrayal. There was a lot of suffering in Joseph's life. And the ten brothers talked themselves into believing that Joseph was favored over them and that his being favored by their father took favor from them and they were the victims of him not taking his place at the bottom of their hierarchy. And you know what? This kid even believes that the love of our father will protect him. What an idiot. That's a Hebrew word, idiot. Ten brothers conspire together to deceive their father and kill Joseph. And then, because opportunity passes by, instead they make a profit, selling Joseph into slavery to passing caravan of merchants. There was a lot of suffering in Joseph's lifetime. I, I, I once heard a pastor trying to import a positive spin into this portion of the story. This pastor suggested that Joseph must have been glad going into slavery that he didn't have to deal with his brothers anymore. <laughs> a white male pastor said that in a sermon. <laughs> and he had no idea how it revealed his blind spot, his ignorance. Joseph, walking in the stupor which follows traumatic shock of having been discarded and sold into slavery by his brothers. Joseph might have found himself distracted when the iron collar began to chafe his neck bones. Or maybe when he noticed blood on his feet because the bang of walking in shackles has cut his ankles. But we must not diminish the gravity the suffering. There was a lot of suffering in Joseph's lifetime. The story tells us that his hard work, his smart work, helped him to survive. His trustworthiness made him an attractive slave to his masters. It was recognized and he was elevated among the slaves to run the household of his master Potiphar in Egypt, which was about as good as it could have gotten for a slave. A slave never fully free always defined by the call of the one who owns them. The word of the one with power, their master, defines the slave. Potiphar's wife, exploiting her position over Joseph, 
attempts to seduce, to pressure, to create the conditions where he would be constrained. She tries to impose non-consensual sex, an interaction which we would call sexual harassment. Her approach is that being the slave, it is certainly in his best interest to please her, the one directly over him. He simply cannot say no, she reasons. And we can look at this, and the message of the text is, when the power structure is such that the one being targeted cannot say no, then that same person cannot say yes. And it cannot be consensual. And it is not right. Joseph says so. There is a lot of suffering in the life of Joseph. And the story tells us that in trying to pull away from her grasp on his clothing, that Joseph ends up running out of the house naked. A convenient opportunity for her, she follows, screaming accusation of him assaulting her while holding his cloak. We don't know if she was able to think that far ahead and plan that, or if it was just a convenient way to handle an unpleasant, embarrassing situation in which she found herself. What we do know is that power structure being what it is, the word of the slave would never be taken over that of a master. And Joseph is jailed, where after some time and some dreaming, Joseph interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh to save the people from imminent death in a coming famine. Joseph is released from prison. He is appointed as second in command to the Pharaoh. Plans are made. Crops are stored for seven years to prepare for what Joseph has foretold. And of course, Joseph's brothers come seeking relief after the famine arrives, wanting grain during the plague. And through a wonderful story of intrigue, of grace absorbing and rendering powerless all deception and betrayal, Joseph is reunited with his entire family. He saves them. Even the ten who hated him cast him out, sold him. He saves them from the famine as well. And he says to them many times, you intended evil, but God intended good. And we might think that's the end of the story. All is well. But there is much suffering in the life of Joseph. 
and his brothers are caught in the clutch of their own guilt and having put their trust in their own ability to manage the world and handle everything in life themselves and yet due to a twist of forces beyond their control have come up short and needed help which revealed the lies they told to others including their father they have found themselves revealed and they are never able to get far from <clears throat> to get far from their embarrassment they are defined by their guilt and their embarrassment and they spend pretty much the rest of their lives quarreling among themselves. From the beginning, it was Joseph's conversation with God that defined him. He saw God's favor, basic and equalizing of human value. He saw it acted out in his father Jacob and his mother Rachel. And so he saw it in himself. God defined him, valued him. And so Joseph did not need someone else to do that for him. And this messed with the hierarchy. It got in the way of the hierarchy put in place by his older brothers. It stopped him from simply taking his place at the bottom clarity of his value and his identity no doubt helped him cope with being sold into slavery and not allowing his place as a slave to completely define his value but it also messed with the hierarchy of his master's wife trying to impose herself on him trying to define him And it came up and kept him from being pulled in and allowing her to tell him who he was, whatever role she wanted to define for him. She wanted to tell him who he was and use him as she wanted. It is this valuing, this clarity of who he is in God's eyes that enables him to be calm in jail, to hear what God is saying, to use the gifts and ability he has been given to interpret dreams, not be stuck in simply going along to get along in the hierarchy of jail, to not be defined by all those voices wanting to tell him who he is and where he is and what now his value is, he can listen and now see and he can hear and perceive and he can dream and he can foretell what is coming. It is what sets him able to see the hierarchy of dominance and scheming to control others for what it is. And even after he is elevated to second in command to Pharaoh, it is that valuing that means he does not treat people 
that way dominating and scheming for control. And that includes when his brothers come begging for sustenance. He, he most certainly has the position and not one person would have blamed him for being cruel to them. But that didn't even occur to him. Because when you are defined by the love of your father, so is every one of your brothers. What they did to Joseph was wrong, and he never says otherwise. And he remembers how much he hated what they did to him. And so that means it is wrong for him to do those things to them, to dispose of them, cast them out, punish them, sink them into slavery. It would only lead to further suffering. One of the major messages of this passage is that reciprocity, payback, and revenge do not work. But try telling that to guilty people. And there is much suffering in Joseph's life. Even near the end of his life, his brothers are afraid that he will change his mind and pay them back for what they did to him all those years ago. And he catches them in another manipulation and another lie. He again tries to reassure them that what they did to him has never defined him. That he takes his identity from God who intends good. And tells them again that God was working then and continues to work in his life and theirs now. And of course, being caught in guilt defined by guilt and shame, they are suspicious and they are afraid and they are certain he is pronouncing judgment on them. And you can read the story of Joseph, Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50. And I think you will notice, you will see a lot of points of connection between this Old Testament story and the day that Jesus stood up on the mount and he offered his first public sermon in which he announced that reciprocity does not work. Revenge does not work. Jesus said it this way, you have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist evil. If anyone slaps your cheek, turn the other. If anyone wants your shirt, give them your coat as well. If anyone forces you to carry their load for one mile, go two. You have heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute and hate you. That you may be children of the God who causes the sun to rise and the rain to fall on both the good and the evil. 
We have been in this series of sermons contemplating those Old Testament passages that would have been known by Jesus, would have affected how he understood himself, how he saw his world and his role in it. And I find myself wondering today, wondering how much Jesus learned from the story of Joseph. May the Spirit of God, whom we know through the person of Jesus, go before you to show you the way, behind you to nudge you forward when you are too frightened to move, above you to watch over you, beside you to be sometimes the only friend you have in this world, and within that you might know peace. Be always in that peace. Amen.